Welcome to ScotsCast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church, Melbourne. We know very well these days what it's like to live in a cancel culture, where if you don't get things right, if you don't say things right, if you post the wrong thing on Twitter, you can immediately be wiped off the social media map. In my case, gladly, very few people would notice the difference. Though I did see the other day I've reached the massive milestone of 104 followers on Twitter, whereas Taylor Swift, for example, has 93.1 million followers. For her in-depth tweets like Chicago, that was so epic with five O's in so. Or see you soon, Melbourne, if you could get a ticket. But look, there is nothing like the phenomenon, is there, of... 21st century social media outrage. Except for perhaps the outrage of a first century synagogue full of very angry Israelites. Especially, it seems, if those Israelites are recently resettled in their homeland. I don't know why it is, but in the passage, did you notice as we read, Seems like they're spoiling for a fight with the emerging Christian movement that we've seen over the past few weeks following the story in the book of Acts has been taking Jerusalem by storm. Even priests, we saw last week, priests from the Jewish temple have been sneaking out and joining up with the Christians on the temple veranda. The fact is, we've been told, the number of Christian disciples has been growing and growing, thousands of them. Now, helped by the fact, as we saw last week, that the Christian church is doing more and more effective social welfare. There had been complaints coming through of unfairness. The Jewish Hebrew-speaking widows were getting preferential treatment. The Greek-speaking widows were missing out on the daily food distribution. Now that's all been solved, as we saw last time, solved by the appointment of seven men, headed up by Stephen and Philip to manage the fair sharing of welfare and funds, while the apostles, in theory at least, got on with the business of sharing the word that Jesus of Nazareth, who the authorities had crucified, had been raised from the dead by God and is the Christ, or King. Now that means what happens next in today's instalment is really quite odd. Because Stephen, fresh from his appointment as Chief Financial and Welfare Administrator of the Church in Jerusalem, Stephen suddenly finds himself in the firing line getting cancelled by the influential synagogue of the freedmen in a dispute with not just them, but a bunch from Cyrene in Africa and from Alexandria in Egypt and from Cilicia in Asia as well. Fortunately, no Scotsmen. But all of them, diaspora Jews living back in the homeland and not liking what they are hearing from Stephen, who's apparently quite a preacher as well. And so they rise up and they dispute with Stephen. For those of you who know our admin team at Scots, we're talking about someone like Siebert or Murray, 
doing the finances, combined with our pastoral care coordinator leader. That's Stephen. Stephen's the chief admin guy. We saw him appointed last week. But you see, according to verse 8, he's full of grace and power, not just for serving food hampers, but doing wonders and signs among the people, just like the apostles were, and preaching as well. And so we're told those synagogue groups who are opposing him, they don't have a chance when it comes to a good debate. Verse 10 says they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. And so, in an eerie echo of what happened to Jesus, just a matter of months before, they resort to spreading rumours and raising false accusations from false witnesses. And in another little verbal echo of what happened to Jesus, they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Which gives us an ominous hint, maybe, that this is not going to end well for Stephen. Here are their allegations, first in verse 11. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And then expanded in verse 14. This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Stephen's message allegedly is anti-Moses, anti-God, anti-Temple, anti-Old Testament law. Heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, change the customs Moses delivered to us. Now, if you do go back and look carefully at the Gospel accounts, there may be just a little bit of truth in some of that. Because Jesus had, in fact, famously predicted that because of Israel's corruption, the temple, in all its glory, was going to be torn down by Rome. That national Israel's days were numbered. Everyone was so full of admiration for the beautiful stonework of the temple. Have a look at these words of Jesus, Luke 21, verse 5 and 6. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus says, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will be not left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Which history tells us is exactly what happened in the year 70 AD because they didn't listen to his warnings. Now, no doubt Stephen is saying the same. Turn around before it's too late. There's still time. Which his opposition takes to be a terrible sacrilege. They say he's anti-Moses, anti-law, anti-temple, anti-God. The members of the Sanhedrin Council look at him and we're told that as they gazed at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was radiant, like the face of an angel. Which is interesting, because the last time that happened was when Moses himself came down from the mountain with the tablets of the law. 
radiant because he'd been talking to God. Maybe there's a little hint who's on the right side of God and who isn't. Now the high priest says to Stephen, are these things so? What have you got to say for yourself? Which brings us then to the launch pad of the longest recorded speech in the book of Acts. We're just looking at the first part of it this morning. Stephen's speech of defence to the Sanhedrin Council. A speech that will, in fact, if you look in the Bible, will take us all the way through chapter 7, that steps one step at a time all the way through the history of the Old Testament story of ancient Israel. Now, I've heard some long speeches in my time. You might think you're enduring one right now. I remember at a wedding a few years back, the couple were an awkward match in a way. The bride's family were passionate Republicans. The groom's dad an ardent monarchist. And we knew it wasn't going to go well when Richard's dad started his speech with a loyal toast to the Queen and then went on and on and on about her for the next 35 or 40 minutes. Now Stephen's speech is long, but maybe not that long. And when you start to understand it, it's not dull. It's a defence speech, but it is not a defensive speech. In fact, it's right on the front foot. It's full of details of Israel's history, but when you read through it carefully and, and, and listen carefully, there is a theme all about how the people of Israel have consistently treated God's messengers. Messengers like Moses, Joseph how they've treated God's word, how they have treated God's temple, when the reality has always been that God has never been confined to a handmade box, no matter how big it is or how glorious. Now, as I said, because it's a long speech, we're only going to take a small bite at a time over three Sundays. But I'm hoping you'll be able to hold the threads together and see how it works. Spoiler alert, doesn't end well for Stephen. If they are angry at the start, they are even more angry by the end. Maybe we'll see why. It is, as I said, a history of Israel. And Stephen starts by establishing common ground right back to Father Abraham, their venerated ancestor. Stephen's clear that faith that he's promoting has a common root. Brothers and fathers, he says, hear me, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham way back, even before there was a land of Israel. Back in Mesopotamia, he says, from there to Haran and finally to here in Israel, the promised land. Stephen says, the God of glory appeared to my father and yours right back at the start of our story. Question's going to be, though, who is it who's on the right side of that God? Is it Stephen pushing against God, or is it maybe his accusers? So he says, let's start back at the beginning. It's a long story. It's all there in the book of Genesis. I would suggest if you want to get your head around the unfolding story of the Bible, even though... Stephen's speech might seem a little bit long and dry to you at first. 
It is actually a great summary. Abraham is Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is the start of the Israel story. You can see the way Stephen summarizes the fact that God promised him a land for his descendants. But for so long, there was nothing to show for it, except a grave plot that Abraham bought. The covenant of circumcision to mark out the men of Israel was given before there even were any men of Israel. Then at last, a son is born, Isaac. And Isaac becomes the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of the famous 12 tribes, the patriarchs. And it's at this point that Stephen starts to turn up the heat just a little. Now, you may or may not know the story of Joseph. I suspect most of us didn't get along to the musical across the road at the Regent late last year. The biggest news about Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat was that they cast Shane Crawford as Pharaoh. And that didn't go so well. Uh, one reviewer said, although I hoped that Crawford was hoarding a secret talent, unfortunately he's most definitely a footballer and not a musical theatre performer. He cannot sing, he cannot dance, he cannot act. Ouch. Uh, he was subbed out halfway through the season. Now, again, you may not be familiar with the Joseph story, but the main thing is Stephen's audience knows the story well. Joseph is the kid brother of the big guys who have gone down in history as the 12 patriarchs of Israel. And like any kid brother, his dad treats him like he's special, gives him a multicoloured coat, and so the older brothers, they're jealous. So jealous, in fact, they decide to get rid of him. At first, they're going to kill him, but then they decide to just sell him off as a slave into Egypt instead. Which is, when you think about it, an absolute scandal. His dad is bereft, thinks he's dead. Joseph himself, one crisis after another, a huge injustice driven by jealousy. Although famously, God completely turns things around, which Stephen summarises in verses 9 and 10. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favour and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now, whether you know the story or not, Stephen's point is getting pretty obvious. That the historical heavyweights of Israel, their famous forefathers, don't have a great track record. They are small-minded, they're cruel, and they're jealous. More than that, it turns out in the end, they've been on the wrong side of God. Because God flips the script, gives Joseph favour and wisdom before Pharaoh. Before long, Joseph is running the place. Which ends up, strangely, being a very good thing for his older brothers when the famine comes. They literally had bitten the hand that ends up feeding them. 
They come begging to Pharaoh's court in Egypt and they're mortified to find that their younger brother that they'd sold off as a slave was now in charge. It's a great story back in Genesis. Uh, That's what Stephen's summarizing here, verses 11 to 16. The one they rejected, God has given wisdom and favor and ends up now not just prince of Egypt, but saviour as well. Which, you see, reminds Stephen very much of someone else. And that is, of course, Jesus himself. Luke, in his gospel, describes Jesus this way early on. Jesus increased in wisdom and in favour with God and men. Wisdom and favour. Look what Israel's leaders did to him. Now look what they're about to do to Stephen himself. Remember the words we saw before about Stephen. They couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Wisdom, just like Joseph. Joseph's brothers were jealous. What is it that's driving the high priest and his counsel? We saw it back in Luke's gospel, filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles. Sorry, it's in Acts 5. Filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. In other words, this is a family likeness that goes all the way back through the history of Israel to the very start. God raises up a wise leader and saviour. All they want to do is kill him. And yet God turns it around to save them. They did it with Joseph. As we'll see next week, they did it again with Moses in Israel's history story. They did it with Jesus. And God reverses their verdict. Raised him up. Now, of course, they're on the verge of doing exactly the same thing with Stephen. Now, I wonder this morning if there's anything we might be able to learn from a story like that. I guess we find ourselves in a number of different positions on the question, what have you done with Jesus? God sends us a saviour full of wisdom and grace. Maybe you think that's just unnecessary. You don't need a saviour. Maybe you've just ignored him. Maybe you quietly resent the idea. Or just shove him aside because you're too busy or too comfortable or too preoccupied with life's problems. Maybe you think Jesus is just out of date. Or you've cancelled him because of his uncomfortable words. Stephen says God has very much reversed that verdict in the resurrection. And if that is true, then much like the brothers of Joseph, the day is going to come when you'll meet him at your most vulnerable, whether you expect to or not. Now, this is just the opening section of Stephen's speech. Stephen is fighting for his life. He's not going to take a backward step. Here's how he finishes You stiff-necked people, he says, uncircumcised in heart and ears, 
you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Friends, let's pray that might not be true of you and me. You've been listening to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne. 